choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Gentle listener, I have to tell you that Howard Parkin is word and note and applause perfect on that theme. And one month, we're going to sing it for you, aren't we, Howard? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Pastor my Howard, Pastor welcome. Pastor my Judith, nice to be here again. Well, it's great to be sitting around the microphones and it's the February edition of the Manx Sky at Night. And uh, lots of response uh, at the end yeah. of the January programme for requests for details of the sky That's for right. the I was year. really quite pleased. I, mean, I must have had a dozen emails in the end from people wanting a copy of the notes I'd provided. And, um, you know, from all over the, the British Isles as well. Well, that's um, lovely, People so. down in London and places like that. And it was great. To, and thank you for responding, the people that did. And I hope they're of use to you. And please keep in touch with us. If there's anything we can answer questions, queries or anything, please, that's what we're here for. Indeed it is. And you can always get a message to Howard via the studio, studio at Manx Radio, and I will forward it on. That's what we did with those requests for the information sheet. I was was so pleased. They kept coming. I got a few, and then I got a few more, and then I got a few more. But wow, what's going on? And another little reminder about our podcast. This programme is available as a podcast. And we say, because it's always packed with information, if you'd like to listen again, manxradio.com. It's listed under the podcast. There forever. You can recommend it to a friend or indeed just listen to get some more information yourself. I mean, most of the stuff isn't dated. I mean, yes, I'll be talking about what's going on in the night sky this particular month but this time next year things like that there's it, it the sky doesn't change dramatically but what does happen is a uh, it, it we change the earth changes as it moves around the sun and we get these different view of the stars and the the sky so what are this month's hot topics howard well the hottest topic of the moment has got to be and it will be for the next few months is venus even on a cloudy night when you've got clouds and alternative a bit of um, clear sky and clouds this beacon this absolute bright beacon shining in the sky in the west over Peel is absolutely phenomenal. There's another word for it. It's just come round at the right time of the year when the nights are starting to get lighter, but that Venus is rising higher and higher into a dark sky. It's actually visible in a totally dark sky, which is not unusual, but it's certainly... Um, it doesn't happen that often because sometimes Venus will come round in the evening sky in June and July time. But this time it's been round, it seems, for months. And it's getting bigger, or not so much bigger, but it's getting brighter and brighter. And in fact, it's going to stay in our evening sky right through till the end of April before it will drop down and then reappear in the morning sky from about August onwards. So I don't need to tell people where it is. Just look towards the west and it's the only... It's the brightest object in the sky after the moon and the sun, obviously. And it's it's unbelievable and uh, well worth looking out for. I have seen it. Well done, Judith. I have seen it. And you know, an astronomer of you yet. I say, <laughs> well, well, you've certainly given me a, a, a new interest when I go out walking at night, which I enjoy very much indeed. And, and it was just... I felt a real thrill of seeing it and knowing what, knowing it, was. what it was. Yeah. You know, in same saying, oh, you know, that's not... And as you say, it is isolated. It is. And it... There are no bright stars near it. I mean, it's not like the winter stars. You might have some brighter stars if it was in the winter. If it was three months on, I know the sky would be lighter, but it wouldn't be as spectacular because it wouldn't be on its own. But I will give you a lovely tip. Next Thursday, you're going to have a 
very thin crescent moon and Venus very close to each other. It'll be a lovely sight, well worth a photograph. A bit like we saw when we were in Israel, actually. And um, this, this view of the crescent moon and the planet Venus next to each other will be worth looking for next Thursday. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of next week. Right, so we just have to hope that we get the right weather conditions. That's all we can do. That's the one thing I can't guarantee for you, my In friend. these changeable times. But the thing is, you, you give a lot of talks. I mean, last night you were at mm, The Sound, weren't you? I was you? indeed. And you must have a way of coping, even if the skies are not the way you would like them to be. To be, to be quite honest with you, Judith, I have a lecture ready, which is 90% of the time is what I deliver. But in the event that it's clear what I have, I always have the lectures done in such a way that I'll just show the first 10 minutes, maybe, and then go outside. And when we do get to go outside, it's such a treat because the sky is spectacular. And I stand there and point out the different objects in the sky. And I get the oohs and the ahs and the wows mm. and all the rest. I just don't get to do it enough. But that, I'm afraid, is a problem of the Manx weather. I can't do anything about the Manx weather. But, uh, no. But... Um, it's there, and when we get a clear night, hopefully these shows, these, these radio shows, get people to realise they can go out, and if they go outside tomorrow night, shall we say, and look to the west and see that bright object that is Venus, they will get a buzz out of it like you did. Yeah. And the ability to identify something in the sky that isn't a star, it's our nearest celestial neighbour after the moon, it's Venus, and... Uh, that's what I try to do. Yeah, And you do it very well indeed. Thank but you. I think people need to remember that when they see an evening ad- advertised, if they think, oh, well, if the weather's poor, it won't be interesting, there will always be yeah. something to make it an enjoyable evening. I hope, hope so. I mean, that's what I do. I mean, I've been doing it now for a number of years and uh, the, the, the talks have grown and grown because, um, unfortunately, I've not had the good weather. Well, experience is a great thing. It enables you to cope with so many things. So, we've got Venus dominating the sky. Now, the moon. Well, the moon's great because the moon comes around every month. Every month the moon goes round and it's it's, it's monthly cycle. It rises in the west. It'll go close to Venus, as I've mentioned, next Thursday. But then only a few days later, it's going to pass through a group of stars called the Hades. Now, the Hades is the stars at the middle of the constellation of Taurus the Bull. Now, this is a very wide-open cluster of stars. It's a phenomenon we get at the edges of the, of the galaxies, the edge of our galaxy. It's called the, the Hades Star Cluster. And the moon is actually going to glide through this cluster of stars. Now, the moon will be too bright, even as a crescent or a, a quarter. It will still be too bright. But if you look at the moon of the course of the next few days, you will find that this moon will give you this wonderful the stars behind it and the moon will slowly go over them and then they'll disappear and then they'll reappear the other side it's quite spectacular and uh, something well worth looking out for if we get the chance because of course it all depends on the weather that's the mm. thing we've got to look out for indeed yes just this is just going off at a complete tangent now but it's just something that I, I've seen referenced twice in the press and you will have seen it as well about this new research about the planets that yes. that we were previously under the impression that they crashed into each other. Mm. There was a lot of spectacular kind of aggressive activity. And now they're saying that they don't it's believe. Scientists are saying that it was a touching yeah. uh, and, and then going off into space. Well, this this it is a fascinating concept. It's one we're probably going to talk about later as well, because... What they're saying is that things slowly gravitationally come together and the observations of the spaceship New Horizons when it went past Arakoff, the new name for Ultima Thule, shows two objects that obviously have welded together. And they're saying these came together quite slowly and just accreted together gravitationally. That's the expression of what we use. But I have an argument against this. I have a huge argument against this. And they're saying now that this is the norm. But we've observed one object in our solar system that has done this. If you look at the moon Miranda around Uranus and the moon Mimas around Saturn, they showed huge, massive impact events. 
And we know we have impact events. We've seen them on the moon. We can record them on the earth. I don't think the whole, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a professor. I'm not studying this as a full-time job. But I don't think you can possibly say it's, it's one way or the other. It's got to be a combination of both. There is lots of evidence out there of major impact events taking place in the solar system. But there is also evidence of things coming together on a slow accretion basis. So I think, yes, they've announced this new theory that is certainly proving that their accretion, slow accretion is certainly a possibility. But there's still huge evidence. I mentioned the moon Mimas. You've probably not seen a picture of it. When Voyager flew past Saturn in 1979, I think it was, there's a picture of this moon. And this is when Star Wars came out. And start with the Death Star in, in Star Wars. You remember the Death Star? Well, this moon, Mimas, looks like the Death Star. It's a moon, but it has an impact crater on it, which is about a fifth the size of the moon. It looks like a massive rocket engine. And the, the blow that caused that impact crater on that moon must have been so close to smashing it completely apart. And that was Mimas, and we never discovered that until Voyager went past. So when you look at that and you think of what they're saying, well, let's be open-minded a bit. The moral, really, of the story, like so often we say on it, is that there is room for so many different of interpretations course. and events. This is so vast that it, one solution isn't going no. to cover everything. And this is science. For every question you answer, there's another dozen questions come behind. And as fast as we think of something, um, oh, yeah, that's tick the blocks. We've answered that one. But hang on, why did that happen? And why did that happen? And maybe this happened. And that's science. That's the human nature to explore and to wonder why. And that's what we do so well. And that is the huge fascination of it. It is, isn't it? It is to me as well. Yeah. Now the constellations of winter. Yes, I've been going on about them for the last couple of months now, about the, the beautiful, bright stars of the winter constellations of Orion and Gemini, Taurus and Canis Major, Canis Minor. But if you notice that, those of you who do go out, dog walkers are always popular for astronomy, casual astronomy, you'll notice that Orion is now falling over. He has now got risen in the east, he stood upright in the south, and now he's falling over towards the west. And that's a true sign of spring. Now, yes, we've got Venus in the western sky at around 9, 10 o'clock at night, but not long behind him now we're going to get the winter constellations will be falling over, as I say, towards the west. And Venus will actually get as far as the constellation Taurus before it will reverse direction and head back down towards the to pass between the Earth and the Sun uh, in, in, I think, it's June time. You just said something lovely there. Casual astronomers. I think that's a lovely phrase. It is. So many of us are that. They and are. this is what you're doing. You're raising up casual astronomers. Yeah, we will never aspire to your level of knowledge, but you will make us just a little bit more aware of what's going on. That's so that, like I do, I'll stop in a country lane and just gaze at the sky exactly. and see if do. I can work out yeah. what there is from what you said. I mean, I started as a casual astronomer. I started as a young boy in Liverpool where I was brought up looking at the stars in absolute wonder and thinking what they all were. And this is a true story. I'm not just making this one up. We came on holiday to Ramsey and we went on holiday to Ramsey and we stayed at a house, the one that's near the footbridge over the Solby River, um, down the Bowering Road, I think it is. Yes. Yeah. And we stayed there and I remember going outside in Ramsey from Liverpool to Ramsey looking up at the sky and thinking, wow, there are so many more stars visible from this location in Ramsey mm. than there was in Liverpool. And I think that and the space era growing at the same time grew my interest from a casual astronomer to one now where because I go out giving lectures and well, because I go out taking people stargazing and it's not um, it's not clear, I end up doing lectures and I've learnt more and more over the years and it's just great to pass it on. And I remember coming to the island for my first holiday from Liverpool 
and I couldn't believe stupid thing that I am. I thought, why is the sky so different here? Yeah. Why is it full of things we never see in Liverpool? Because of the, uh, well, when I was growing up, we, we still had, we were still burning fuels, you know. Yeah. Um, we were still burning coal and all the rest of it on the fires. And so there was lots of pollution in the air like that and light pollution and all the things mm. that work against seeing the skies. Come here, come to Ramsey. Yeah, Unbelievable. Absolutely amazing spot. I still have an affection for that place because I always remember looking up at the sky and I don't know how, or to this day I don't know why, I looked up at the sky and thought, oh, that's Deneb, which is the principal star of the constellation Cygnus. I don't know where I dragged that up from my mind, but to this day I, I see the star <laughs> Deneb and I remember seeing that from, from the, 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 the riverfront. You were um, a clever little Ramsey. thing. You were a clever little thing there, <laughs> I don't you? know how I knew it. Just one of those things, I don't know how I knew it. But oh, uh, you, must have been, you must have been doing a lot of reading, I, must I, have been. I, I reckon. Saturn, what do we need to, to yeah, know about well, I Saturn? Just want, I, mean, I don't, again, casual astronomy, we've mentioned that already. Most people who listen to this programme, I think, are casual astronomers who look at the sky between 9 o'clock and midnight, we'll say. But if you want to get up early or you have to get up early in the morning sky at the moment, we've got three planets all very close to each other. We've got the planet Saturn, we've got the planet Mars and we've got the planet Jupiter. And if you don't know which is which, just go outside on the early morning, get up at six o'clock, five o'clock in the morning. Honestly, it's worth it on about the 18th of March. And the moon will go past Mars, then it will go past Jupiter, and then it will go past Saturn. Jupiter is by far the brightest of the three. Mars is going to get much, much brighter as we go through the year. But Saturn is the lowest one of the three, and it'll be a sort of couple of days after the 18th you'll see that. Just look at that through a telescope if you've got one or a pair of binoculars, and you'll see the rings around it. And that is one of the most breathtaking sights you'll ever see in astronomy. You've got a great song choice for us tonight. I cannot believe that we've been doing as many programmes as we have and we've never played this particular song. Smile upon my face My natural exuberance 
Gonzo Dog, Doodal Band and Urban Spaceman. Howard, was there a particular reason why you chose that? There was indeed. I've just put together a new lecture called The Search for Extraterrestrial Life and it's basically using what is now not accepted as perhaps as valid as it used to be called the Drake Equation where we work out the statistical chance of life existing elsewhere in the universe. And I use this equation, it's called the Drake Equation, to give an illustration of life existing elsewhere in the universe. So how appropriate that the last line of that song is, here's the twist, I don't exist. So it's, it's rather good. So I'm using that as the introduction to my lecture. So I thought we've got to use that for the show because it leads very nicely into the fact that only a few weeks ago, the, um, the astronomical community, the people who work in the SETI Institute, SETI stands for Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, have actually said, instead of being a sort of peripheral branch of astronomy, we need to really start looking probably for life elsewhere in the universe. Because when you look at the statistical chance of life existing elsewhere in the universe, as I say, I could use the equation, go through that with you, it takes about an hour. But when you look at the likelihood of life existing elsewhere, it's very, very high. I don't believe as little green men whizzing around in flying saucers round Onkin Head or Douglas Head tonight, but there's a very high probability that life probably does exist elsewhere in the universe. When I started teaching my night school classes all those years ago, there was only one star had planets, the sun. We now know there are thousands and thousands of planets around thousands and thousands of stars. And we now believe that planetary formation is actually the norm. We believe planets exist around pretty well every star system. That has changed in 30 years. Do you think that there are life forms that we'll just never find? Yes, absolutely, 100%. I get asked that at school a lot. Mr. Mr. Parkin, do you believe in, 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 in aliens? And I say yes. And then I usually, unlike me, they're rabbiting on, I, I usually just stop then. I, I say yes, and there's a pause. You see them, I believe in little green men. And then I say, no, I don't believe in little green men. I believe that life exists elsewhere in the universe. And it has evolved possibly to the same extent as us, but they can no more reach us than we can reach them because of the laws of physics that we know we can't travel faster than the speed of light. Just a little aside for you, Voyager, Voyager 2 I mentioned in the first half, um, is still going and we're still getting signals from it. It had a glitch the other day, literally a few weeks ago. It had a glitch. It threw itself into safe mode. They had to send a signal to it to ask it to come out of safe mode and switch on its, its um, data processors again. It took 17 hours for the signal to go from California to the spacecraft. It then switched itself back on again, and then 17 hours later, they got the signal that it had switched itself back on again. 17 hours for the signal to reach something that we launched from into space in 1977. So that's 17 light hours. Now yeah. compare that to the nearest star is four and a half light years away. Maybe you start to get a feel for, yes, yes we're very clever. We sent this spaceship out. It's flying huge speed, huge distance. Still a long way away, 17 hours. But compared to the distances in the solar system, that's, yeah. that's nothing. No. And, and when we say a headline that something is shrinking or growing or going to explode or whatever, it's going to do it in, in about yeah. you know, 400,000 years exactly. or something like that. The astronomical scale is, is beyond our comprehension. We, yeah. we tend to focus our lives on our lifespan. Mm. And that's what we do as human beings. Mm. And obviously we, we try to look after the planet and our families and everything else. But our scale of life in compared to the age of the universe, 13.77 billion years old the universe is. Mm. And we exist for 100 years if we're lucky. Mm. It starts to put things in perspective. Indeed it does. So SETI, they, they, what are they trying to do? 
basically, it's, it's a long story. It's, as I say, it's one we could talk about. I've just done the lecture on it. But basically, we used to send a signal out. For a little while, we sent a signal out to space to say, hi, this is us. Come and find us. But then the, the world at large said they don't like this. They don't like us advertising that we exist. So now we don't send out signals. We listen. And what the SETI Institute people want to do, they want us to listen more um, carefully to what things we can detect from space. I mean, there's a subject, what we call fa fast radio bursts, which is a phenomena we think is a natural phenomena from types of stars. But there's one at the moment that's emitting um, signals at regular intervals. And we don't understand that because the physical processes that cause a star to emit these bursts of radiation um, naturally, it can't repeat and that's a big, big debate. And on the back of that, the SETI astronomers are saying we should be listening and be more open-minded. We can always come up with a natural explanation for things, but sometimes maybe, you know, the, the, what we're looking for is actually what we're hearing or what we're detecting. Curious thing. I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying, and I'm thinking I wouldn't actually be at all frightened if, if I was walking along the beach in Douglas and met a little green man with a television aerial on his head, you know, and and, and he was trotting along whatever, or, or an E.T. style character. I wouldn't actually be frightened. I'd be more scared if I was working at this institute and suddenly started hearing over my headphones some strange sound or a regular sound mm. or a sound, an inexplicable sound that I didn't know what it yeah. was. Well, we're, that's it. we're, it's what we don't see. It's, it's human nature. It's what we don't understand. So mm. perhaps if we have an inkling of what we're looking for, maybe we can understand a bit more what we're detecting. Or maybe it would be better just to leave them there. Well, we say that, but on the other hand, we're sending all these spaceships to Mars later this year. The six different nations sending six different spacecraft to Mars. Mm. And one of the biggest reasons we're going to Mars is to look for life elsewhere. We believe, going back to our planetary evolution idea, that Mars once harboured life. Something happened to Mars. There's a whole host of reasons and suggestions what happened on Mars. But life started to evolve on Mars and then was snuffed out by changes to the environment because Mars, um, the continual habitable zone of the sun, uh, changed size and Mars was outside that zone now. But we are pretty certain we're going to find fossils on Mars eventually. And I hope that will happen in the next few years, literally, as these spacecraft get there and start looking in earnest for microbial fossils or whatever you want to call them. Uh, but that will prove that life did evolve somewhere else in the universe, on Mars. And then could it evolve to intelligent life like us? Well, that's the next big question. There are always questions. As, as I we said like, before. We like that. We, we like, like questions, that. don't and we? And staying in, the, in space, um, well, let's catch up on Virgin Galactic, uh, on yeah. SpaceX. What, what's, tell us what's well, the Well, they, they did say last year was going to be the, the launch of the year of commercial space exploration, and it didn't happen because lots of setbacks and things happened. But Virgin Galactic, start with them first, Virgin Galactic have just moved their spacecraft, Spaceship One, and the Unity spacecraft, which is going to take the people who are prepared to pay a quarter million pounds for 15 minutes in space. Um, they've moved that now to their brand new headquarters in New Mexico and they think they're going to start commercial operations very soon, as in the next few months. Um, Richard Branson has already said he's going to be on the first one. They have launched twice now with passengers on board, but not fair-paying passengers. These have been people working for uh, Virgin Galactic and they think the first flight will literally be in a few weeks' time. And uh, that's very exciting and that's something that Richard Branson always wanted to do and he set it up and you know there's a manx connection there because there was an alternative to virgin which was the um the excalibur almaz spacecraft using proven spacecraft that had been into space for the russians and that was the goal of art Dula and his um 
uh, Excalibur Alma's organisation. That didn't come to pass because, frankly, people don't want to go on an old spacecraft. They want to go on a brand new, shiny spacecraft. And that's where Virgin, I think, have got this big advantage. And it's touch and go who's going to be the first person to launch commercial people into space. And I wouldn't mind betting it's going to be um, Virgin Galactic. Because although coming back to SpaceX now, SpaceX, of course, have been contracted by NASA to launch men and women into space to go up to the International Space Station. They aren't fur-paying passengers. They are professional astronauts. Yeah. And SpaceX uh, have done all the tests now. Everything's worked fine. They've passed all the um, things they had to do. And there's going to be an announcement very shortly of the launch date of the first manned Dragon spacecraft to the ISS. And popular bets are going to be it's going to be in the beginning of the second quarter of the year, so sometime in early April. But I would imagine there is no shortage of fair-paying passengers no. who can come up with the half a million pounds. No, quite a lot of them. Quite a lot of Leonardo DiCaprio, I think, is one. Yeah. Sarah Brightman is another. Um, she, Sarah Brightman went through all the tests to be yeah, an astronaut, She went through the whole process to launch to the, the ISS on a Russian rocket and then pull the plug at the last minute. She yes, did all the training and she just... Pulled the plug. Just for personal reasons. Yeah, personal just stepped reasons. away. Yeah. And we never did. Because she was going to sing from space. She was going to do a whole PR thing from it. In fact, that had a major spin-off because when she pulled out of that mission, it meant that they couldn't train an astronaut. So the ISS only had two people who went up to join it. There was three all there already. Yeah. So they had a crew of five for the only time they've ever had five because her place was never taken. No, it couldn't. Because she had done proper legitimate mm. training. Well, they, they, spent gimmick. they spent months training yeah. and it, it's not, it was arduous training mm. as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. And that's one of the arguments that they're saying about um, Virgin Galactic. I think your training for Virgin Galactic is, is a week. It, it, it's minimal. Very mm. is minimal. But then again, you're not doing anything. You're only in there for 50 minutes. So it's not like spending but at the a week same on board time, the ISS. Exactly. You're not, you're not working. You you're don't not have to there. have this, this, those no. skills. But at the same time, You've you've got to know that person is going to be mentally stable, that of they're course. going to be able to cope with what it feels like. And yeah. there's nothing really that will replicate it completely, no. is there? There was a case, and I'm not going to mention names, but there was a case of a person being launched into space on a Russian rocket many years ago now who allegedly freaked out on launch. Mm. And they had major problems because they just couldn't handle the the environment and yeah. uh, it was a huge problem at the time and uh, it was hushed up a lot but uh, we know it happened and uh, you've got to be careful that doesn't happen because you're, you're, you're confined in a very small space and of course huge forces acting on you the launch of the rocket and then weightlessness and maybe feeling sick because lots of people get sick when they first go into space because the uh, the stomach can't act and you're balancing all the rest so it's not a comfortable environment once you get used to it I believe it's unbelievable I'd still do it tomorrow <laughs> Howard, I'm collecting for you. I'm Please. collecting. This with, is like Chris Williams' Spitfire Fund, I suspect. Yeah, with the races on. Oh, right. The race is oh, well, on. Oh, I must tell Chris that. The race How is much on. has he got? he got five and six months, I think. I'm not telling you. I don't want, oh. to dis I don't want you to feel that you're lagging behind. I think you I leave might the campaign. Be. You leave the campaign to me. Thank you, Judith. All and contributions, please, <laughs> to Judith. Uh, preferably folding money, not coins. <laughs> We'll take anything. Absolutely. We'll take Euros. Well, it all mounts up. It all mounts up, Howard. Yeah, thank and, you. And Howard, the time mounts up as well. And once again, we've been beaten by the clock. Howard Parkin, thank you so much for being in the studio again and revealing to us the secrets of the February Manx Sky at Night. We'll talk to you in a month. My pleasure, Judith. Thank you very much. Good night. The Nation Station.